Hello and welcome to Sports Best Friends Stories, a podcast this week that is, like a good horse, looking to be led and coached. I'm Big T and sitting patiently across from me this week is an ex-player, coach, analyst and commentator. He played for the St. George Dragons for four years. He coached in England, taking Bradford to a 72% win rate from 97 to 2000. In Australia, he coached for over a decade, watching over more than 260 games for Canberra, Penrith and Warriors combined. He's been the mastermind behind Coach's Corner on the NRL TV since 2015. He's been the expert analyst on the ABC Grandstand since 2015 and has been the managing director of Zenergy since 2015. Please welcome Matthew Elliott. Big T, how good is it, mate? Yeah. Welcome to my office. <laughs> it's great. My very humble space. Yeah, I'm loving Zenergy. First of all, mate, your website talks about elite physical development methods with cutting-edge emotional intelligence and neuroscience technology. Can you give me a brief summary on what that means? Well, mate, you've done your research. Thank you. Um, look, how about I explain it in a, in a less technical manner? What we do is we run programs for predominantly injured workers, but we also do it in the corporate space. Right. So we work in the workers' compensation area. Um, and what we do is we give people tools for not to, not to focus on what's wrong with them but how to make uh. themselves better. So we operate across seven behaviours, and I use – uh, ex-NRL players and CEOs and, and authors to help with that. And we, we talk about how you think, how you feel, mm-hmm. how you breathe, how you sleep, yep. how you move, exercise and eating. So guys like Anthony Minicello, who are you know obviously experts in the area of nutrition, he he basically cured himself, Anthony. He was out. For, people don't really recognise this, but he almost missed four years of footy on and off with you know really severe spinal injuries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's rehydrated all his discs at his back, and he's he's very inspirational. Yeah, right. Mark Hughes, my goodness, uh, you know, Mark's been with us for nearly two years now, and every time he talks, I tear up. Yeah, um, right, right. And just such a funny guy. I tear up from laughing, and then yeah. tear up from being Great emotional. Story. And mm. you know, we've you know, you know uh, Paul Harrigan, you know, very very inspirational. So we've got you know people from NRL background that really help us out. Andrew Ryan has come in a couple of times as well. Really, really great speaker. Yeah, great. And so thinking about, uh, I'm still going to stay with emotional intelligence because I love that phrase. Your time on the sideline, who do you think has great emotional intelligence playing the game now? It's a really, really good question. And you know what? Let me, because what does that mean? Now, so many people don't really know what emotional intelligence means. And me, for it's, it's basically like, your mental intelligence is how much capacity you have and how well you apply it. Right. And you have physical capacities yeah. as well. So some people are fast, some people, you know, are strong, some people can run for ages. And, you know, with thinking, some people have got a lot of knowledge, some people are really well well good at focusing, yeah, and some yeah. people can remember a lot of stuff, right? Talking about my brother, he can't <laughs> doesn't I can't remember a thing. So <laughs> but so emotional capacities come in the same way. They're not you know, they're not all bunched in one little group, and oh, that person's emotionally intelligent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So look, look at someone like Trent Robinson, for example, as yeah. a coach. He takes a very holistic approach and makes sure he's dealing with the whole person as well as the player. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. So okay. he's really good. But Craig Bellamy, equally for me, would be someone that if you asked, is is he emotionally intelligent? I'd say yes. You know why? Because he makes things simple and clear. Right. Yeah, there's no ambiguity around Craig Bellamy. He allows his people to understand his messaging. Mm -hmm. Wayne Bennett. You know, Wayne Bennett, even though our our public persona of Wayne Bennett's not probably someone who's really engaging, but Wayne Bennett forges 
individual relationships right. with his players better than any other coach in history. Yeah. And so do you think a, a, emotional intelligence is really important for a successful coach? Uh, it, no, it's essential. Yeah, right. And, you know, I, I can say this because, uh, you know, I've, I've been someone who definitely has connected with players on an emotional level, mm-hmm. but I've also been someone who got diverted away from that, particularly at the back end of my career for, you know, whether personal reasons and other things right. and that. If you're not... If you're not connecting with your players, you're just giving them information. Right. And then, you know, and you're giving them structures and that sort of stuff. We can get that on off our phones. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. So emotional intelligence in a team sport, emotional intelligence in life really is, you know, people make it exclusive or this really strange thing. All it is is your ability to connect with other humans okay. and your ability, how well you can share understanding and, you know, and inspire people. And and so like before when you're saying about physical stuff, you can get you can be fast runners and blah blah blah. Do you think you can you can train and be better at being fast? Can you train then and, and be better at or like strengthen your emotional intelligence as well? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. It's what I coach and yeah. it's it's something that, you know, for a, a bloke with my accent, you know, being a male with grey hair, to actually talk about emotions is like whether <laughs> well, I was told they were bad. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. so but you know, yeah. <laughs> You, you need to work out that they're an essential part of you know the, the ingredients of being a human, yeah. and if you ignore it, there's a consequence. And have a look at what's going on in our communities now mm. with people of lack of lack of understanding. Not we're not dumb, but I got taught how to develop physically. I got taught how to learn and right. develop mentally. No one taught me how to to develop emotionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like you know, suck it up, have a have a cup of concrete, and get mm. on with life. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the stats in what they call mental health, particularly in men, might indicate that we need to do something a bit different. Around yeah, that. yeah. Yeah, right. Okay, well, let's talk about your long history with football. <clears throat> what is your first rugby league memory? Oh, God. I, you just said you didn't have a very good one, so this might, this might not work. Look, I started playing under eights when I was five. Um, so What? How? Oh, no, well, I should actually revise that. I... I was in the under-8s team, but I ran up and down the sideline yeah, right. like a crazy person. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I don't. I find it difficult to remember life without rugby league in it. Well, yeah, and right. yeah. So my first memory of it was just being with my best mates all the time. Yeah, and again, not really caring too much about you know the, the, all the stuff about young kids now about the winning and losing and not exposing to the only people that care about it are the adults, right? Because I can't remember winning or losing a yeah, game right. <laughs> yeah, my yeah. entire childhood. I, yeah. I never worried about it. I was more interested in getting the, the bottle of soft drink after yeah. the game. <laughs> right, yeah. And then did you have a team that you followed at the time when you were a kid? Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in Townsville. Okay. So uh, and my dad was from Paddington and played for East in the lower grades. So okay. I was a, an East supporter in the Sydney comp. Right. But we watched the Brisbane comp. Yep. More often, and so I just I just went for East as well because because of the name, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and there was a guy called there was t- two Morris brothers, um, uh, Des Morris, who's now a Queens well has been a Queensland board member for age, ages, okay. and a guy called Rod Morris, and I love the way they played footy, so yeah. just made sense. I was obviously lazy. <laughs> so, east and East, yeah, that's it. And and so it was through your dad. Did your family have a big rugby league? Kind of following before that, or it was just your dad you playing? How'd you get into it? Um, well, my dad played for East, and yeah. my dad then you know, moved from Sydney and went up under Thursday Isle and started footy up there. Wow, okay. Um, and then when we came to town, so I, I don't remember any of that. I was born in Thursday yeah. Island, but I left at three. 
I don't think I was playing footy then. Well, yeah, <laughs> for the under eights, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. No, I was under twelve, so <laughs> not, I was that good. Um, so my dad was my first coach. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I wasn't pushed into footy, right? I can just remember, like when just you grew there. up in Townsville. I grew up in a a remote suburb, but not far out of Townsville. I was on the beach, and there was about, well, I guess, around twenty kids, maybe two years either side of my age. So yeah, right. In winter, perfect we, for football. In winter, mm. we played footy at the spare allotment, and in <laughs> summer, we played cricket. So yeah. you know, I I can't remember not playing footy. Or yeah, cricket. wow. So it's not just that your family, that it was a family connection, but also just the community. That's it. It was just rugby league and yeah. I got a brother and two sisters, and my brother didn't play too footy for too long. So okay. he was more a tennis player and a cricketer, and that's what they did. So I was again, it was totally my choice. My okay. dad ended up coaching me. Um, yeah. But um, it was, you know, 100% my choice. Okay, so speaking of your choices, you were, you, you, when you played, was there a coach that you had that made you think, I, coaching looks great? Like, did you have a person that you went, that looks like a job I, I'd like to do or could do? Or It's probably two answers to that. Yeah. So the two coaches. Um, look, I played lower grades at the Roosters um, and... Following your dad's footsteps. There you yeah, go. yeah, wow. I did, yeah. Well, I, I was a cricketer. I was playing first grade cricket at the time. Oh, so, wow. So, yeah, I, I, didn't, I, you know, I didn't come to Sydney to play footy. I came to play cricket. But wow. I got paid four grand to play cricket and had to play... Oh, sorry, to play for the Roosters in under-23s. and wow. cost me a grand to play um, a year of first grade cricket. So, <laughs> you know, like, you know, there's not a real lot of decisions to be made there when you're, you're a young bloke in Sydney. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I I got the opportunity to play footy that way, but I went to France. Okay. Because remember, because they were both winter seasons, so you could go to France. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. And my attention was to come back to Australia. Well, when I was being coached, and um, Arthur was the first grade coach, and actually um, Russell Fairfax was um, the under-23s and then, then the reserve grade coach, sorry, at the time. So, And the, the structures of play were you – know, to the open, won the blind, and then out the back. So that was how we played. That was yeah, wow. honestly that was the structure of play. And I went to France, and there was a guy called Marius Fatini who was our our coach. And we had left and right centers and left and right back rowers, right. left and right front rowers. Believe wow, it or not, wow. our our number seven played dummy half, and our our hooker was another runner, and our and our six and 13 were in the halves and with a fullback sweeping around the back. Okay. So I went there and went, this guy's crazy. He's got a clue what he's doing. And yeah. This is not how you play rugby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No wonder France are useless at it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Truly. And, um, well, you know, we, we lost, I think, the two years I was there because I didn't come home. I love yeah, France so much. Yeah, well, well. Um, we lost about two games. The guy was well. the guy was an absolute genius. And then, you know what? You know, 10 years later, the, there I am going, my God, Marius was teaching this <laughs> to us when I was in France and yeah, I thought yeah, he was yeah. a lunatic. Yeah. So, yeah, Marius definitely. And Brian Smith certainly brought right. um, some real professionalism and, you know, a, a higher level of understanding to, to coaching and actually sharing techniques than, than I'd been exposed to. Right. And so – was there a time where you realised when you're doing reserve grade stuff or working uh, under Brian that you thought I could be, uh, like, successful at this? Like, is there a time where you go, this is it, I can do this? Look, I, I, Big T, my life has never panned out that way. Right, right, right. So, did, you know, like, 
is that all you wanted to be was a footy player? I don't know. Well, I just kind of ended up that way. I was yeah. playing for Bondi United. I got called up to the park and there's a, there's a million stories like that. So did I have any intention of being a coach? Not really, but my dad was a coach, Yeah, you know, of my junior team. My brother coaches cricket, so maybe it was kind of meant. But I, I got yeah. um, at 28, I, I did my knee for the last time. I'd had that many knee surgeries. And the mm. doctor said, oh, you can't play anymore, which I thought he was a loon bag. And then Smithy said, do you want to come and coach and be the development officer at St. George? I said, no way. I'll, <laughs> I'll sign a deal at another club next year, so I'll go. And then I I realised that you know, my knees weren't coming back. So, right. so yeah, it wasn't like a, a life-term, lifelong. Right. But I didn't hesitate when I got offered it, and I was at that stage an executive in local government. So... Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So I just immediately said yes and because I just love rugby league. Right. I just I also love that all of these stories just have little laneways into these other incredible-looking stories. That, like, what's going on with the local council thing there? What were you doing there? <laughs> well, I trained as a teacher, uh, never taught a day in my life. <laughs> my sister, And, again, so back in when you graduated as a teacher a thousand years ago, as you can imagine, um, you got placed somewhere. Right. Um, so I think I was somewhere in Western New South Wales or <laughs> my sister was in local government said, look, there's a recreation officer's job, youth right. worker's job going and the, the money was more. Yep. And it was either, you know, go to, whoop, oh, whoop. I'm not going to say the town, but right. I'll go, go to that place out west or yep. come to Sydney. Yeah. Like at what, yeah. you know, 20 years of age, it was like, it was, yeah. Um, I'll have uh, that. Yeah, 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 15 grand more, I'll see you there. Now, let, let me take us back to coaching because I'm so fascinated um, by coaching. I do a lot of coaching myself, but it's all with kids. So I'm, I'm interested very much in, in the idea of coaching adults. So talk me through a, a kind of timeline of a season for a coach's perspective. So what, what's primarily involved in a pre-season? What are your major goals in a pre-season? Yeah, there's probably a few. Mm-hmm. Obviously, look, can we park the physical stuff? Because yeah, obviously yeah, yeah. you want to you find, get players to a fit, and, yep. fit to a new physical level. But – you know, a lot of the time, because rugby league at the elite level is not the same from last year as it is to next year. So you've got to evolve structures of play. You've got to evolve systems of play and understanding of what you, your players need to deliver on the field. Because last year everyone's worked out what everyone was doing. You feel like you need to change again? or oh, you can, Now, I watch rugby league now, you can't even keep the same structures going. If you do for a whole year, you're going to get snuffed out. Yeah, really? Yeah, you're going to get – we saw that with South two years ago, I remember, that were really highly effective on that left-hand oh, side. FD, okay, yeah, true. So if you just do the same thing, you are so heavily researched that you're going to get snuffed out. Wow, okay. So in a pre-season, what you need to do is – you remember getting your L plates and it was, like, so complicated? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like you had three pedals on the floor. We had three pedals when I drove anyway and, you know, blinkers and yeah. rear vision mirrors and – Nothing's automated, wheel. everything. You have to think yeah. about every move, yep. Yeah, someone helping you beside you, a really helpful person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then other lunatics on the road. Well, you, but that, and it's complicated, right? Yeah. So you've got, but three weeks later, you're driving along and you, you know, you're talking on your phone and, yeah, you know, you got one hand on the steering wheel. So you got, you got to move from the complexity, yeah, to simplicity. That's what your, your whole preseason is about is, is, okay, here's these new principles. But by the end of the preseason, they've got to seem like, you know, you're driving the car okay. you know, with one hand on the steering wheel looking out the window saying, yeah. how are you going? <laughs> and so during the season, what's what's different at training, say, than in the preseason? I'm assuming you've moved from that automated things. So what are you doing in the week-to-week bits? 
there's a few things in the week to week bits. You obviously you've got to make adjustments around last week's performance. The thing that I love about elite sport and elite rugby league is is that you know, now working in the corporate world is is that like performance review happens not daily. It happens a few times a day. Yeah, really. You know, there's no quarterly review. Or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. There's no, you know, every couple of weeks let's have a chat about how things yeah. And they've copied and pasted it from the last one and they're just yeah. trying to editing it. Yeah. yeah. There, there's – I miss that. I can tell you that. Yeah, right. So during the season there's obviously you, – you, you're previewing and reviewing past performances and, and going into the next one. So that's probably something that you really need to look at at an individual to a unit. So you know, professional rugby league is broken down to left and right yeah. and you'll have backfield units. So you're going to have areas and areas of – key areas of achievement that are required from those people and how they're linking together and how then you're looking at their ex- individual execution across to the team. Yeah, drill down into me for that bit. So give me an example of that. You th- like, So minute, you'd say to Minicello, we need to make sure that you get like a particular, every time you do a, a carry, a kick return, we need to make sure that we're past the 30. Is that the kind of thing you mean? or oh, It's probably even a little bit more technical than that because you don't get to choose. Tell me, please. Give me, please. So we'll look. Okay, we're playing against this team. There's a left foot kicker, and love this kick. Yes, so where he'll he'll normally kick to this bottom hand corner. So you're probably looking to move to your right there. There's some key indicators of whether they're going to kick with the left foot kicker or the right foot kicker. Okay, and what, is that just where the the, tack, the tackle is? The rucks a lot of the time. Likely. A lot of time, you get some indicators of where they're standing. Yep. So there'll be a whole lot of information that you give your backfield. And then what you want to do is, is look, they like to kick to here. These are the reasons why they want to kick to here. They yeah. want to trap us here. So there's some things that we need to do in play one when you catch the ball where where we want you to head. Right. And then obviously because your first two to three plays will determine the effect in 95% yeah. of the times how effective the rest of your set are yeah. and where you end up. So if you can, you know, if you can tackle the opposition inside their 30 – on play one, you're probably going to get better field position next time you get the ball, yeah, for example. Right, right. So there's a whole lot of yeah. nuances that go on with that. So that coaching that sort of stuff and making play is repetition. Yeah. But the the coaches or coaching staff need to make sure that they've got they've done their research on the opposition. So you normally start sort of three weeks out on each team. Shut so, up. So there's a little bit of stuff going on every week. Yes. Wow. So that by the time so you're thinking about the Cowboys, but you still got to play Brisbane and yeah. Melbourne before you. But but the work's already going into three yeah. weeks away. Yeah, the players aren't thinking about yeah, three no, weeks yeah, yeah. ago, but the coaching staff wow, are. Yeah. Okay. So if if you do an assessment under five weeks, once the season's you know past that five week period, you're probably you're not doing your homework properly because you don't get to see the variations. Yeah. What and that sounds like really complex, right? But what you show the players, you might only. Sh- once you get the validation, yeah, you might only show them one event. Yeah, look, this is what we know they do, and hopefully by that stage they trust you. You can show them, look, this is what they've done for the last five weeks. But you lose them after a while, maybe. Well, yeah. you just, yeah, we, we got it the first time you told us. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you've got to be able to do that in a really effective way, or show the variations. Yeah. Around it. Well, you just answered my next question. This is, I'm loving this so much because I once, 
At the moment you started talking about that, I, I, I remember I had to sit in a terrible seat when I went and saw the Tigers play in Tamworth and we kept running a short side. Luke kept running a short side on last and would kick it back across field. And I kept thinking that has to be on purpose. He's done it three times, so they're doing it on purpose. And I later saw when I watched the game on television that because of that, Ponga would, would come towards that tr- sideline and then he'd kick back across him so it would bounce every time. And I was like, this is, this is what I don't understand or can't understand without asking smarter people than me. And so it's just a one random time to sit in one random seat. But I'm sure most people who see the game or have watched a lot more games than I have would have been able to go, they're, they're doing this to eliminate Ponga's movement. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, look, James Tedesco's far more effective coming out of yeah. his left-hand corner than his right-hand really? corner. Yeah, yeah. So you, you've got to know. But why? Well, Is it his footwork? Or yeah, it will depend on his footwork. Yeah. You, you need to do your research on it and make sure that, you, you know, you know, and you probably – Again, you'll you'll know who their best winger is on play two. Yeah. So oh, so you want to kick away so, from? Well, if you've got, but if he's like Blake Ferguson, yeah, he's really best play two carrier in the game. Right. So either get him to catch the ball on the full and tackle right. him on play one, so get someone else, and hopefully Michael Seaver doesn't show up from the other <laughs> side of the field and carry the ball on play two. But he's not as good as Blake Ferguson on yeah, play two yeah, yeah. yet. So it's like there's a whole lot of things that you. Yeah. And what happens is that once you get into play two, then play three, the variables start to increase. Yeah. So you're better off you know, dealing with the stuff where the yeah, less variables right. are. But there's a whole lot of other things that have nothing to do with what play it is, but some principles around how you defend together and how you attack together, communication style. So that's one of the things you do during in-season. The other one in-season is you talk about load, and that's with your coaching staff. Like what? So, well, most clubs will have three different load is physical load, mental load, mm-hmm. and emotional load. So you'll talk about a high load week, a medium load week, and a low load week. So that'll depend on how long you've got towards the next game. Oh, right. So whether it's an eight or nine day turnaround. And right. This is all planned. You plan the whole year. Yeah, right. You plan 12 months. You don't. Yeah, yeah. That allows you to make variations because that does. if you plan for 12 months on your loading in particular. Right. Um, and that'll. That'll cover everything, how long they're on the field for, how long they're in the gym for, how far they run. Wow. And there'll be variations done on that based on the GPS stuff that they do during the game. So if they have a game that goes, you know, into extra time, well, you'll you'll adjust the load down. Right, right. So it's just – and then you there's a whole lot of other data. You get about 3 million data points, I think, out of the stats available oh, and, wow. and what you get out of the GPS. So you can't use those. So you've got to actually know the ones that – are going to impact that. So performance staff need to know that. Yeah, wow. So loading of plays is really important. You know mm. yourself if you're just in an intense environment all the time, it's tiring. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that can be not just physically tiring mm. but mentally tiring and then emotionally tiring. So the clubs that do well overseas and you can, you know, you, Craig Bellamy's an expert at mm-hmm. it. Trent Robinson has done a fantastic job yeah. at just knowing when to rest players and and. And risking a loss. Yeah, right, because the load, yeah, yeah, is going to be better off in the long run. Yeah, and you saw Craig Bellamy do it really well at the end of the year, you know, of just giving these origin players time off and all that yep. sort of stuff. Um, so, there's, yeah, that's that's probably one of your biggest juggling points because, that wow. again, that load, even though you've planned it for 12 months, there's a lot of unpredictable stuff going yeah, yeah. on. Losing increases the load. <laughs> it does yeah. because yeah. – you know, after a loss, quite often you're better off, you know, being really light on the players. Really? And, and decreasing the load. Well, 
hormonally your testosterone levels dive after losing. Wow. Because, you know, yeah, it's just, yeah, if you have a, you know, if you feel down and it's not only your hormones, that your hormonal levels that are impacted, obviously your mental. Emotion, yeah. So it's all linked together. We're not. They're not. We're not separate beings. Yeah. Uh, so all that stuff's linked together. So you're quite often better off being really strong and hard on your team after a really good win. Wow. Yeah. That gives that that gives you the capacity to rip into them. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Because right. they're more resilient, right? So if you've won a game, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You think put yourself in that situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Let's walk. go and get another one. Work hard. Let's get yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's all that sort of stuff. You'll find that you know the the coaches that are con- constantly at the top of the ladder are the ones that do that really well. Okay. And what about game day? What what are you doing differently? That's that's really impacting play on, on the on the day they're they're playing. As the week goes on and into game day, you reduce the amount of messages. Right. That's one of the things. Is that, and again, you want. You want to tie those messages into themes, so that you know, not there's not fifty messages. There's just right. one theme that you can tie stuff into. So you really the amount of communication to the team starts to reduce yep. dramatically as you go towards the back end of the week. And I think there's a lot of reminding of players of what their individual um, responsibilities are. And again, if you're past four or five, your messages, yeah, you're yeah, overloading, yeah. right. And at halftime, you're just going back to those themes. Yeah. Again, it's really interesting reflecting on that halftime stuff is that probably most coaches talk too much. Right. Yeah, I would. But it's only because we care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, the, the again, the really good coaches would go down with really – because it's an outcome you want from yeah. halftime. Right. I think the more you engage players by saying, well, what have you done well? Yeah. Tell me what you think's gone well in that half. What has not gone so well? Yeah. Um, why? How are you going to fix it? Yeah. And then you can add your bit to it. But if you go in there with all the answers, mm. um, you can't. You're not providing any of them when you're on the field because you don't have to bend your back and jam your shoulder into someone or, you know, <laughs> yeah. or, or chase that kick. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's probably. Asking the right questions would be the, the most important thing at halftime. Because I've always, I mean, romantically you watch movies and stuff and you see, you know, the coach does something at halftime and, and that's the impact. But I, I distinctly remember um, they, um, Matthew Johns was asking Freddie and Nathan Cleary after we'd won that first Origin series, you know, they said to Nathan, what, you know, what was Freddie saying at halftime? And, and Nathan said, honestly, I didn't hear him. And there's all this great, you know, image of Freddie in there firing them up. And Freddie said at the time, I, I, he's what you said. I was speaking too much. I, I was just so excited. I wanted them. I wanted an outcome that I was definitely spoke too much. And Nathan couldn't remember a word he said. And so it's interesting that he didn't obviously ask a question. <laughs> Maybe they yeah. still won, but again, let's go back to the emotional intelligence stuff that you asked at the beginning. Yeah, and right. Having a coach standing in front of you, regardless of what he's saying, mm. and who cares? You pick that up, right? Yeah. Because if he came in and went, oh, yeah, good first half, guys, you know. Any any questions you want to ask me? Well, <laughs> yeah. that would probably indicate that he doesn't give a shit, right? Yeah, so right. You, you want people. So, again, and every now and then at half time, probably once or twice a year, you can get fully theatrical. You right. Kick the bit over, go nuts and yeah. try and invoke a, a response that way. Yeah. You know, I, I've done that and it's probably worked in my memory of, you know, nearly 20 years of coaching, maybe once or twice. Wow, yeah, right. But, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it's 
the suppliers that should be out kicking the bin over, really. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Now, as a coach, you took the Panthers from last to second in just a few years. What was the biggest variable that affected that massive turnaround? Um, I think let's talk about the players first. Okay. I think the quality of the players and the buy-in from the players that were there. It took a while to evolve. They'd come out of a fairly successful period when I took over. But there was probably a few players that were disengaged um, as far as what they wanted to do in their future. Right. You know, then that happens. You know, you, you, have, you experience success and, you know, how good is that? Yeah, yeah, So yeah. it's obviously finding that energy again. So it took a little while and there were some key individuals that really helped that. Petro Sivanasiva. Right. Getting him to the club really helped. Luke Lewis's, you know, drive and, and will to – you know, experience success again. I think they were probably yeah. two really important things. Was, and we had the, the people, the people, not the players, the people made the biggest difference. The yeah, guys right. that were were in the team, um, you know, they really worked hard towards that. Yeah. And so you did nothing. <laughs> uh, well, the coaching staff, well, again, it's, it's again, at your best, your coaching, you, when you're coaching at your best, you're engaging with people. Right, okay. If, if you're just engaging with, Stats yep. and previews and reviews and structures and systems, you'll lose them. Yeah, you know it's it's that, that's a fact. Yeah, okay. Um, now let's look into the wonderful world of wishes. If you could sit down and watch a game with anyone in the world, who would it be? Mm. Well, I, I'd say my dad off the top of my head because yep. he passed away when I was thirteen. But okay. okay, let me have a think. I would say when Kate, I wish I could have sat with my daughters when I was coaching, because i got four daughters, right? And everyone would say, your daughters are absolutely nutcases during the game. I've never <laughs> seen anything like it. So I would have loved to experience that. What but, were they doing? Oh, they're just screaming and yelling oh, right. for, the, you know, for the team. Always. Oh, I see, right. They massive was, fans. Just... The massive fans yeah. of footy, and oh, I didn't expect them to be, and I never saw it, right? Yeah, right, right, right. So I would have, uh, again, some people, would, I, their eyes would be like <laughs> – as white as horse was going, wow, I'd have, what about your daughters? <laughs> so I would have loved to have seen that. Um, I'd love to sit with Cameron Smith. Right. Ask him where the drone is. Because <laughs> he's definitely got drone technology talking to him. I've never ever, I'd love to actually sit and chat with him while, while watching a game and yeah. going, okay, in that position, what are you looking at? How do you see it? And how is that possible? Right. I just, I, Honestly, I remember doing, you know, doing all the previews against Melbourne and all that sort of stuff, and I'd have to look at it. Same, same with Jonathan Thurston. I'd have to, and Andrew Johns when I coached against him, I'd have to look at the footage three or four times because I'd just be so transfixated on those those yeah. individuals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seriously, yeah. they just, I'd. Well, how do they know that? Yeah, their, their intuition, their understanding of what's going on. I just, I love that sort yeah. of thing. So I'd love to sit with you know guys like that and go. I, you know, I'd love to do a a tele show. I've been asking for a while to sit with players and go, okay, in this situation, what are you seeing? What are you doing? A little bit like the stuff you see with NFL. Yeah, I, th- I, I love that sort of stuff. So, yeah, Cam Smith would be great to sit and have a chat to. That TV show is also something I've been pushing because I think that would be an excellent television show. And and particularly if you drill them on the stuff that you're saying before about, you know, get them to go to the detail of left foot. Step. You're thinking about why Why did you go short side here? And don't just say, you know, what you think the public might want to hear or the level of intellect. Like take us to the 
nth degree because that's the only thing that I don't think, but there's a lot of media coverage at the moment. The NRL, Fox League's, you know, got a huge amount of time and they fill it with stuff, but we never go like level three coaching. We never hear, the fans never get to hear that level of stuff. And it's fascinating because we can't, we can't ever learn it. We can't watch the game enough to, to see it. You know what I mean? We need you with Cameron Smith to tell us. James Tedesco coming out of the corner is much more lethal than out of that corner, and that's why I kicked like this. And you can show people that. Look, that's I love American sport. Yeah. And I'm a massive NFL fan because of that, you know, they've... They, the level of detail in there is... Yeah, but they make it fun. They do. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I've done, you know, I've worked with Fox and, and you know, done other media stuff, and it's a, you got a, you got short period of time to punch the message out, right? Right. Whereas in the States, they take the time. Mm. And, you know, this is not just during the game. And I know NFL runs runs yeah. slower than a rugby league game, but they take the time in analysis of showing people what the players are seeing. So you know what? NFL fans are better educated yeah. than rugby league fans. Yeah. And it's got – and I'm not having a shot at rugby league fans. I love them. Love them. Um, I am one. Yeah. But That's right. they only know more because they're taught more. Yeah. That's exactly it. So and and the shows are fascinating. Yes, yeah. and they they get a mixture of people on there, you know, to ask the right questions, but actually show people what what's going on in, yeah. in this thing. If you could, you know, give people like Andrew Johns you a know, license to Jonathan really first, and mm. you know, Cam Smith in the future to sit down and take them through that sort of stuff and go, yeah, uh, what are you looking at here, mate, and why why would you do that? Yeah, and so what's happening on this play? And, and then they'll say, well, we're not actually thinking about this play. This is part of the process. So yeah, we've yeah, hit yeah. that player. <laughs> yeah. He's one of their key, you know, key offensive players, but we're wearing him down for yeah. the whole game. But we do know that the defender on his inside is slow to get there. Right. Or he over adjusts to protect him and we're just going to pass the inside on him yeah. and break that structure down. Yeah. So there's a whole lot of – you could, I could talk about it for months. It's yeah. just – so much really fascinating and good stuff to, and now the really good thing about it, which I get excited about, is is the game is evolving quicker than it has. And People, on on field or off field, you mean? On field, yeah, right. Because of the off field yeah. knowledge, but if you watch how the Roosters in Melbourne, for example, started this season and how they finished this season right. and their styles of play, they, they, they evolved. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they know they have to. Yeah. Because if they don't. You know, defensive coaches and attacking coaches will break sort them down. Out. Mm. And the um, I remember you actually you, you did an NRL TV thing four or five years ago when when Queensland kept beating the hell out of New South Wales, and you took us through Cam Smith and Jonathan Thurston hitting our halfbacks over and over again. And so every time we had the ball, we were so we were shot. And and I remember watching that going. I would never have thought. Of who's, I mean, if someone put on a good shot, I'd be like, oh, who hit him? Okay, great. But who are they running at over and over again? It was just Mitchell Pierce and James Maloney over and over again. And so they were gassed. And I remember thinking then, that was the first time I went, this should be a television show. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's, it's, because well, Tony again, Romo, when he commentates, he assumes that whoever's listening knows a lot about NFL. And so Tony Romo will tell you what the play is going to be and then tell you why they're hitting the inside runner. And then they happen. He? He's incredible. But it's, I've learned so much from listening to him. Because he assumes that I like, he just expects me to get to his level of intellect quickly, and so you have to. Yeah. And so if we had, if we let Andrew Johns instead of just saying numbers left, but actually explained how they've now got numbers left, would be an incredible thing to do while commentating. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not even while commentating; it's also post taking yeah. the take time. Mm. Don't show people fifty plays. Just go have a look what's going here, what they're seeing. Yeah, I think we're. It, I feel like 
uh, rugby league commentary is in a hurry all the time. Right. Australian sports commentary is in a hurry all yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah. You even watch basketball in the states, like, like in their breaks, they, they take the time. They'll explain one thing. Yeah. So you walk away a little bit smarter. Yeah. And their Instagram account also in basketball. I follow the NBA just because I often pause and show the routes that everyone's just about to run. And you're like, this. Be often it looks really quite chaotic, but when you show me that this is that he's running actually a pattern, and the third time he runs it, they, they hit him with the ball and he dunks. You're like, this makes this is obviously trained and really well thought out. And yeah. if, anyway, makes you smarter about the games, and yeah. that's what we want. We want and appreciate fans. it more. Yeah. You just realize how great everyone is. I'd love to sit. I'd love to sit down with Andrew Moore to watch a game because it would be like sitting and listening to Grandstand, but interactive. I get to talk to him. What's been the hardest thing for you though, moving into sideline commentary? Um, I think not coaching would be my right. first answer. Um, yeah, look. I'm so grateful for Andrew. God, I've, I did start on the sideline. I was in the box. I told them I couldn't do it this year and and then you know, I had a last-minute change of mind. So I've, I've been so grateful. And it's you know, his way of, like, encouraging you to to be, you know, the best um, yeah, right. analyst is, is really great. So um, – and it's, it's, a, it's a fun medium. You know, radio is a fun medium. I've done – I did in the World Cup some TV commentary, so you say a lot less in TV. Yeah, right. Um, which is kind of interesting because the pitchers do this. Yeah, you know, tell yeah, the story right. You don't want to be like a radio commentator on TV. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a really good medium, and it's certainly something that I enjoy. I you know I, I missed it in the few weeks that I didn't do it. That's for right, sure. Right, right, right. Now, staying in our wishing world, if you could go back and watch any rugby league game ever, which game do you wish you'd seen? Oh, well, goodness. I would, I would have loved to have seen the game where the Dragons beat um, the Broncos in the 1992 grand final. That would be a good game to right, see. Right, right. It didn't happen, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we got beat the by them. Yeah. That's the grand final I played in. I would have liked the one that oh, yeah, instead yeah. of losing it. <laughs> you know what? I, I, there's just so many great games of footy that that – that's just that that that's the hardest question in the world, you know. This I'm glad I thought of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's a really hard one, and yeah, you know, there's there's just too too many too yeah. many to say, and too many I've been involved with, and you know, I, I've you know winning a Challenge Cup and playing, you know, coaching a team in front of eighty thousand people at Wembley Stadium was pretty cool. Yeah, Got to experience that a couple of times, and we did it in Edinburgh as well. That, that that was pretty special. Yeah, and maybe being able to watch that instead of coaching it could be good because then you know you know you don't have to have that same mindset. You can just enjoy it maybe a bit more, and especially you know you're going to win. That could be <laughs> that yeah. could help watching. I tell you what, that is one thing that you know we I do miss about the UK is that like the English fans. Right. I remember walking out the tunnel um, at Wembley, and there was they and they sing. What do they sing? They abide, sing at all. It's abide incredible. by you, they sing before you come out right. for the Challenge Cup. And we came up the tunnel and it was like, I and I was leading the team, the two coaches lead the team, and I actually had to put my head down to walk up the tunnel because the, the, the noise was Shut so up. loud. That's how, you know, that you know when you go to a yeah. rock concert, you can feel the <laughs> yeah. pumping out of your chest. That's how loud it was. Wow. If you weren't moved or like, impacted by that, you're not a human being. So wow. I do do miss that. And we had great fans at Bradford when I was there, sort of end up averaging just over 20,000 fans. But it, 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 
would sound. The Super League, that's really good. Yeah, back in the day. We're, we're, Even for we're, Australia, it's good now. Yeah, yeah. So, but they would sound like 80,000 Australian right. fans. Yeah, wow. And they wouldn't stop the whole game. Yeah. Far out. Look, I'd go back and watch the 2002 Raiders team beat Melbourne at home in round 26, propelling you into the top eight. What springs to mind when you when I bring that game up? Beating belly eight yeah. one, <laughs> one time out of eight. Um, um, you know, again, people, yeah. just the people. You know, we the thing when I was at the Raiders, I was there for six years, and we made the semis for five, I think. Yeah, and we we got picked for the wooden spoon every year because right. we didn't have a great roster, but we had great people. Mm-hmm. You know, people like Ruben Wiki, you know, extraordinary. You know, Alan Tung. Clinton Shavosky, you know, just you know, I'm the re- I don't like even bringing out individuals' name because you know they just there were so many good human beings amongst that that we were prepared to do whatever we had to do to win games. We weren't a we weren't a brilliant team, but you know they they were good times. They were yeah. definitely you know close to a, that six years was close to a highlight for me as far as you know coaching goes. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay, so thinking about your time, um, times like this, your playing career, your time in England, um, all the time you've done commentating, <clears throat> the time on NRL TV, what do you think is your greatest rugby league memory? I did, uh, well, I guess walking around um, after the Challenge Cup with my four daughters, you know, hanging off me left, right, centre, that was pretty cool. Um, but I just, you know, I just have to say, my greatest rugby league memories are from playing. Yeah, right. And just being amongst, like, the the guys I played with at St. George were an extraordinary bunch. We, we were wild, but we weren't we weren't destructive. Yep. Um, we had Brian Johnson and Mick Beattie as our leadership. They wouldn't put up with players getting in a fight or being disrespectful or, right. you know, wrecking a hotel room. They, they, you, you'd be out. Yeah, right. Not by the coach, not yeah, by the yeah, club. Yeah. But those two guys, so you know, and my whole life actually, right from five, right <laughs> through, just the mates that I made through footy, you know, yeah. just not on purpose, but just by just going out and enjoying ourselves and loving the game, and yeah, so that my greatest memory is the the people that I've met through footy for sure. Yeah. Well, finally, Matthew, why do you think you love the game? What does it have that's kept it so close to you for so long? Well, I could never repay it, that's for sure. So mm-hmm. I, I think for what it's given me. Yeah. You know, like I just talked about the friendships I've got, but God, you know, I lived in England for five years. Mm. I lived in France for two years. Mm. I travelled Europe, you know, between <laughs> seasons when I was in France. You know, I got to – I lived – I got to be a coach for 20 years, you yeah. know, if you mount from moving into under-21s under coach at – the Dragons and was professional coach for 20 years. And yeah. I mean, I'd still love to be coaching, but the, oh, I certainly don't have any, you know, like, oh, the game owes me more. The, right. I, I wish, I'm glad it's not, I don't, I don't have to repay the debt that the game's given me. So it's just, yeah, I couldn't, the knowledge that it's given me, people aren't, aren't I've been able to overcome the stereotype of being a footy head <laughs> because I now work in the corporate world and they, and honestly, the stuff that I've learned from being a coach and being right. a high-level player is so needed at the elite level in the corporate world because they just dribble over decision-making. 
and have these performance reviews and they don't really name anyone. They don't right. – their, their review and preview processes are just shocking. Yeah. I'm sorry. Sorry to anyone that yeah. has been my clients, but, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, that um, just those lessons alone. Yeah. You know, friends yeah. and friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thanks, mate. This has been fantastic, particularly your, your coaching insight. I really appreciate that. That's all the questions and comments I've got. Did you have any before you wanted to finish? No, it was a fun conversation. You, yeah, you might have picked up that I like talking about footy. <laughs> yeah. um, I'd cut me off, otherwise this, no. could, this could go for another seven hours. Yeah, we might come back, mate. Um, well, also big thanks to Mercho, who's been excellent, our wonderful producer, and a quick thanks to Andrew Ferguson from the Rugby League Project and his excellent website. Well, enjoy your sport for another week, and we'll talk to you next time, sports best friends. Sit with Cameron Smith. Right. Ask him where the drone is. <laughs>